Hey, what's good, everybody? Hey, are you an educator struggling with time and money? I mean, are we all? <laughs> well, I want you to meet my friend Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors, and he's here to help. Specializing in working with educators, Alex understands the challenges we face from low pay to complex retirement systems. His team specializes in holistic financial planning, focusing on your goals and creating actionable plans to improve your chances of success. Visit his website at www.toriandalex.cetarainvestors.com slash tudope, T-O-O-D-O-P-E, to schedule an initial virtual consultation with Alex. Mention the code TUDOPE on your meeting and receive 25% off their subscription-based financial planning packages. You can get more info and a link to their website in the podcast description. Cetera Investors is the marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC, Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC, California Insurance License Number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra CFP is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203 Monrovia, California 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306. Uh, we're out here, whatever you call us. Welcome back to Two Dope Teachers and uh, Mike. I'm Gerardo Munoz. And I am Kevin Adams. He is Kevin Adams, and I am Gerardo Munoz. And we are here remixing the conversation on race, power, and education. Kev, do you know that we make a, a fugitive space for folks? Do we? Do you know that? What, where are you talking? I can't. I think that we're trying to engage that. I heard this. <laughs> I don't know what was that. All right. That's that was what we wild. try to do. We really do. We really do. These are the conversations that are sometimes... Like, this is... Bro, I've been thinking about the origin of our podcast, and our podcast started as a fugitive space. It started right. as us escaping the nonsense of the general staff meeting and um, having our own unofficial, um, unsanctioned staff meeting. Uh, where we had to kind of like hide for a long time. So welcome to this fugitive space, uh, two dope teachers and a mic. Season eight, bro. Season eight. Ocho. 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 The Ocho. Yep. Remember when ESPN had the Ocho? <laughs> yes. ESPN Ocho. So Why there need to be eight ESPNs? Explain that. It's, man, I, I feel. We, do we it, even it, need two ESPNs? Do we even need one? Let's be honest, because like it's like especially like watching our guy Jokic not get the love repeatedly 
all the time. Although people are starting to, but it's like, what did he have to do? Um, Certain people won't figure it out. We're looking at you, Perk. Looking yeah, at you, looking, Perk. We're we're really looking at LeBron James too. It's like LeBron, you gotta, you know, whatever. And uh, Van Lathan, I like Van, but damn Van, like stop. stop. Um, yeah. So we we're here, and just like Nikola Jokic, uh, we are inevitable. That's right. We're inevitable. We're the Thanos. Of, no, we're not that. Uh, I'm so I'm a little punchy. It's been a really long day. Uh, Kev, we were doing a no, recruiting fair for I wait. What, I think no, that's I think, what yeah, want. I think that's what people do. Want. <laughs> I don't know why they want. Why y'all want this? Like y'all, <laughs> y'all decided to be here. Uh, yeah, had a had a big recruiting fair today, man. Um, real brief before we hit our intro. Uh, full speed. Um, we still need to do a full episode where we talk about this uh, pivot that the two of us have made in the last year. Um, but how was work today? <laughs> work today? Work work was work, man. It's every day is very exciting. Every, every day very I go fast. to work, I work. I, it goes very fast. There's a lot, there's a lot of exciting stuff that happens. Today yeah. was a lot of catch up because I had the privilege for the last, for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of attending the, national courageous conversations summit man uh, uh, courageous conversations it. about race summit in yeah. austin texas uh I was you just tell people sh- about the podcast you better tell people about the i told them about the podcast but Good. i just want to right. shout out those five people like it was wonderful uh three days of of really rigorous learning you know but but we partied down you're gonna love this g guess that dance party was hosted by none other than Doug E. Fresh. No, what? I saw a live performance of the show. Saw him beat, do the beatbox. Mastery wow. skills of Doug E. Fresh. He was rocking the party. Oh, that's, that's, wow. That's now, now I'm real mad that I left that school. Um, dang. I'm telling you, bro. I'm t- everything. Hey, everything is back. Uh, everything <laughs> is back. Everything. <laughs> everything. Um, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I still got to go to Puerto Rico over a year ago, but all right, that's gonna, there that's we gonna go. rust after a while, but Dougie fresh, that's sick. No, that's cool, man. Um, well, we'll have to talk a little bit about that. Cause, um, cause I think, um, <laughs> I think what we're having today is, uh, is a courageous conversation. So we'll kind of, I get think so. I or maybe for other people, it doesn't require a ton of courage out of us because, um, because we rock with the stories of the marginalized and minoritized, like that's what we do. Um, yeah, for me, man, it was, it was probably a little bit less glamorous, but, um, the last couple of nights, it's been really dope to just be recruiting for our pair to teacher program. Um, we, man, as you know, we got so many folks who are working as paraprofessionals in our school who have yep. forgotten more about education than a lot of teachers know. That's no right. offense That's to my right. teachers, but these folks are, um, they're just, they're ready to contribute and, um, our district gives tuition assistance to parents who want to become teachers. So it's kind of dope, but, but I'm exhausted, man. I put in like 20 hours the last two days and it's like, okay. Um, but yeah, it's good. Tomorrow's Friday. Tomorrow's Friday. Friday. It is Friday. And I get to flex some time tomorrow. Flex Flex on. I get to flex. Flex on get the flex with my flex um so we're we're gonna we're gonna cut the nonsense short today in a couple of weeks we'll we'll get back together and talk a little bit about just where the podcast is at where we're at like we're in very different places but uh but the pod is strong the brand is strong we still are out here for you with you by you 
Yes. Yeah. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, man, what a guest we have on the show today. Um, so this is a good one. This is a good yeah, one. This one's great. So um you're about to hear our conversation with Abir Ramadan Shinawi, um, who is a Palestinian teacher in the United States of America. Um, she's from Chicago South Side, and um, she wants to talk to us a little bit about how teaching Palestine um, ought to be taught as a social justice movement. Kev, what are some things people can look forward to in this show? I mean, a the justification, uh, like one of the 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 best, well stated justifications for why it's imperative for all educators to be teaching about the Palestinian people in this moment in history. Right. Um, right. I think, I think given my journey uh, when it comes to learning about uh, native and indigenous peoples and the impacts that uh, settler colonialism has had on native and indigenous people all around this world, yeah. you know, um, I think this episode hits especially hard. Um, I think it's timely because I think it is the issue, um, unfortunately, that uh, or fortunately, you know, depending on the moment, just like it took the tragedy of George Floyd, it takes this type of tragedy for us to finally shine a light on something that's been going on for a while. So I think people are in for a really powerful episode from a thoughtful guest. Um, and And then also, you know, I think, always we get back to the pedagogy and there's some solid tips for what works. How do we engage students um, that show up at the end? Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think, um, and, and an amazing top five. Yeah. That top five is fire. That, top that, five. That top five is fire. Um, and also one thing that uh, she didn't share on the show, but the show that she will share with me, bro, whenever one or both of us ever goes to Chicago, uh, she has a list of her top five Palestinian restaurants. Let's go. In uh, let's go. So Wait. We'll, all right. Let's just let's just stop this right now and go. Let's go. Let's go. Um, yeah. And, you know, this is an individual that, you know, man, I've been, um, you know, just kind of ma- I, I maintain a pretty active social media presence and she's one of the folks that um that have kind of come across the the timeline and that I've really been able to connect with and learn from um you know the the stories of of the of teachers who are Palestinian and what they're kind of experiencing what this moment is meant for them we just don't hear enough of those stories and some of you might have Palestinian colleagues you may have Palestinian students and they're strong, they're tough, they're resilient, they're wise, um, but they're not okay. And I think it's just important that, that, that we show some solidarity. Um, in the coming weeks, um, our friend uh, Emil will come on the show. And uh, as well as I believe we have a commitment from Dr. Muna Saleh to come on the show as well to kind of continue to tell these stories. But man, you know, I since this um, since these atrocities began a month ago, um, I, I've felt stuck with what to do because I'm not an expert on the history. I do, I do have a, a commitment to holding steadfast with people who are living colonialized and occupies, uh, occupied lives. Um, but just talking to a, to a beer Shinawi today, it, the big realization that, that I've had lately is like, you know, they may take our lives, but our stories make us immortal. 
you know, and they make our people immortal and they make our histories immortal. And so I, I think before anything, it's listen to the stories. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, without any further ado, here's our interview with Palestinian educator from the East Coast by way of Chicago, uh, Abir Ramadan Shinawi. Hey, what's good, my people's, our peoples? Uh, we are here with our incredible guest, um, and we've been really looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Uh, friend of the podcast, friend of the Twitter account, welcome to Two Dope Teachers and a Mike, Abir Ramadan Shinawi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. You're dancing, and I love that. We are um, great. Trying, glad you know. to have you. Glad Thank you. We Thanks are, for having me. We are so glad to have you. Um, so we um we we like so many other folks from marginalized, minoritized communities have watched the situation in Gaza with such a sense of horror and a sense of of just that kind of frustration that comes from man, these are these are histories that uh, repeat themselves and they're really painful. Um, before we kind of get into that just tell us a little bit about you and you know a little bit of of your uh superhero origin story and um you know how you came to be who you are where you are well it started with my mom and dad first but no um so that she's where should i start <laughs> um like I, you know, I always start by saying I'm a child of immigrants and growing up, I used to think that was such a a, a deficit and now I wear it like a badge of honor, you know, and the yeah. fact that I'm a child of immigrants because when I think about what both of my parents did in order to get to where they are today is absolutely amazing. Um, and thinking about all the all the privilege that I come with, regardless if I grew up in, you know, poverty or not, there's all this privilege that came with it. So I'm a child of Palestinian immigrants. Both of my parents are Palestinian. My mom is actually the refugee, not my dad. So my mom is from, um, her family's from pre-48 borders. Um, so that will be something that is always kind of interesting to tell people. Um, and one of six kids, we're three girls and three boys. Yeah, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. And I think growing up in Chicago in a city like Chicago, especially on the south side, if you know anything about Chicago, people will tell you geographically where they're located. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's right. Me and Kev important. love Chicago. Very important. Me and Kev yes, love Chicago. Is. Chicago uh, keeps calling to us. It keeps I, calling I, yeah, us. we had that conversation, right? Gerardo, uh -huh. you have to go back. Um, I think also saying that we're from the south side because we have a deep pride of the fact that it has one of the one of the largest Palestinian populations in the country. So there's something about growing up with uh, being multilingual and being um, having more than one culture and try and navigate that. And I almost look at it as three cultures where you're, you know, you have a little bit of American, you have a little bit of Palestinian, and then you have a little bit of city in you where it's different than growing up in like the suburbs. So, you know, growing up there was really uh, pivotal. Yeah, Kevin knows about growing up in the suburbs, right, Kevin? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. Sorry. 
No, that's okay. I, I'm feel, so I'm, I'm on the I'm on the end of an 11 hour day, so I'm a little punchy. Um, but go ahead. So you're talking I, about? I love it. I remember those uh, long feature days when you start to be like hallucinative. You know, you're hallucinating. <laughs> it's like At the end of the day, you're like, nothing makes sense. You don't need to get oh. drunk because just stay for 12 hours in a just <laughs> just work a long day. It feels the same. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So so no, that's talking okay. about how like growing up in the South Side of Chicago. Yeah, like, South Side, and it was um, it was very. You know, we know Chicago is a very segregated racist city, but even growing up as an Arab in the 80s and early 90s, um, you tend, I, for myself, and I know a lot of other people tend to develop like this complex. Are we these people that the media is saying or are we not, right? right. I was proud to be Palestinian. I was proud to speak yeah. Arabic. But, you know, so growing up there, you kind of had to maneuver and how to um, live that life. So you know, grew up there, um, became a teacher, uh, which middle school social studies, which is my first love. I will always be a middle school social studies teacher. Love that. There's there three of us right? here. There's three of us here. Right? That's, right? That's, 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 those are the real ones. It's it's the best kind, right? And then eventually my husband and I end up moving to the East Coast and we've been in Maryland now for like over 20 years. Um, I love living on the East Coast. It's very different, um, but my heart will always be in Chicago. And, and as I've gotten older, I think I've become more in tune with who I am as a person. Yeah. Um, upbringing wasn't that easy, but I think it really helped me develop into who I am today and, and what I bring with me into education as well. So kind of a broad sense of who I am, but you nah, know, that's we'll, dope. we'll dabble into that as we talk. Yeah. Why, why do you want to be a teacher? I'm just, this is always a question that we're really curious yeah. about when it, particularly when it comes to educators of color. So at first I want to be a lawyer. Yeah. Hey, I can see that. Yes. Right. Yeah. I want to be a lawyer. And my, for my the first semester of my senior year of high school, I ended up doing an internship in Springfield, Illinois, which I believe is the land of Homer Simpson, but people don't want to admit it. Um, so I right, because it's there. Springfield. Whoa, okay, where'd you Springfield, go? But, you know, because Springfield is the most generic name you can have for a city, right? right. Named after Illinois. So I went there and it was, so this was the early 90s. So this is 92 to be exact, because I graduated in 93, I'm showing my age, but so I go there, now this is pre any type of like really digging into women owning themselves, especially in law. First of all, it was boring as heck, right? <laughs> Second of all, all the work was being done by the paralegal who was a, a woman, right. you know, and these yep. dudes with yep. these big offices and I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. So I go yeah. back to school after my internship and I, my, I'm trying to decide what I want to do. Cause I have like semester left. I got to go college. And my principal looks at me and she's like, you know, you've been socially active. You've, you've done all this stuff for the community. You love history. Why don't you be a teacher? I was uh, like, ah, okay. <laughs> and to be honest, that's how it ended up happening. I really didn't ever think of becoming a teacher. I was set on being a lawyer for the longest time. And I yeah. guess like my friend says, there are no coincidences in life. And mm. from there, that's how I became a teacher. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. I love, I love that your principal had, had enough understanding of you. And I, I, Gerardo was joking. I went to school in the suburbs at a large, like comprehensive high school, 1200 uh, kids and 11 of which were black, uh, 1200, wow. mostly white kids. Right. Y'all had a nickname too, right? Didn't y'all have a nickname? Black Fal the Black Falcons. Shout out. Shout out. Which is kind of sick. Like a superhero it's, gang. It's kind of dope. Like now. Yeah. Sounds way better. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it was cool. It was cool then. But uh, 
we, you know, that your principal knew you that well, mm -hmm. kind of what you had done, you know, and, and had the ability to say, hey, you should be a teacher. And um, I think that's powerful. I tell students that I just transitioned out of the classroom and assistant principal, but I'm like, you should be a teacher. So hopefully they're strong. listening and seeing that, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a good thought. It's a good idea. Yeah, it's 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 kind of wild too because it's funny because we're two dope teachers in a mic, but but this is the reason it's not the number two because we just highlight yes. two dope teachers like teachers who are just too dope and uh, and I think that's something Kevin and I have talked about a lot over the last few months since he left the classroom is kind of like mm -hmm. you know teaching is our mother tongue right professionally speaking mm -hmm. and so we won't we won't ever look at education through like another lens before we see it as a teacher. So be for me, before I'm a uh, middle management lamoid, um, I'm a teacher, right? <laughs> and um, like, like my teacher had is on before my manager had is on before my administrator had is on before my district leader had is on. And I think it's the same mm -hmm. thing um, for Kev. No, that that's cool. Um, yeah. But for context, I did another piece of my upbringing that I think was very pivotal and um, who I am today. So I went to a very small, it was the first at the time, uh, private school for Muslim girls. All right. Yeah. So it's similar to a Catholic okay. school for Muslim yeah. girls. It was like yes. six through 12. So we literally, my graduating class was, I think, like 13 people. So for the principal to know who we were, of course, because if you have a school of like 200 students, not even, it was so small, but it was such a close knit community because everybody knew everybody from the community. It was part of the community. Um, and so it was an, a really cool way of not feeling like an outsider. Although all of our teachers, 99% of them speaking of white, were white women who chose to teach at the school with all of these like they were all um, brown. We had maybe one or two um, black Muslim students, but they were all children of immigrants who were Palestinian from that community. And you had these white women who are phenomenal teachers. And it was really an interesting way to develop a sense of self by looking on the outside in by through our teachers, but at the same time, not losing a sense of ourselves because we were in this like insulated bubble with the school. So that's how my principal got to know me because we were such a close-knit community that she was able to do that. But she was also herself was such a, a person that was so um, introspective. She was Malaysian uh -huh. and just this amazing, like cerebral person. So mm. I was happy she saw that in me because I was a lawyer and I didn't know I was going to be a teacher. I have no idea what I would have been. Mm. So <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, I love that. Yeah, that's real. Um, you know, I think, this idea of like all anything school, you know, the, the, you know, us people that have been left out. So all black boys school, right. Okay. Or, you know, a Muslim girl school, mm -hmm. I think is an amazing thing, but I often wonder, was it, what, how did your, uh, do you know anything about how your school was started or was it a charter school? No, nope. um, it was basically a bunch of people in the community. So if you know anything about like, especially Arab culture, like they're very yep. protective of their daughters, right? Yes, yes. And again, all of them were immigrants. So not only were they protective of their daughters, but they wanted to be very protective of the culture. Yes. Mm. So these, these, you know, these dudes 
basically came together and said, hey, I have a daughter, you have a daughter, let's get together, let's start a school. Nothing yeah. with education. The man, um, God rest his soul, who started the school was actually an engineer, like a civil yeah. engineer. Yes. His daughter was in my graduating class. And that's basically with a with a, which I think if you think of even historically, like in black communities, people yes. come together and say, each one teach one, we're going to start this little school. And then let's it, it grows from there and there. And that's basically how it started. So yeah. Oh, wow. Well, well, yeah. yeah. You, you know, I always, you know, I've always often pondered, I was like, yeah, these people who are all for religious schools, mm. would they accept a religious uh, Muslim or Islamic school, you know. With Kevin, whatever do up. you mean, Kevin? You know, whatever I just, do you, you know, mean? It's just the way my brain works. I don't know if right. I mean, brain works that way. Well, sorry, the school, ironically, though, although it was predominantly for Muslim girls, it was very progressive and, and liberal in a yeah. sense. Hijab wasn't, wasn't mandatory. Like no. I said, all of our teachers were these white, non-Muslim women. <laughs> Even our principal, Miss Maher, who was like the foundation was an ex-nun right yeah. oh wow yeah. so it oh, was wow. such a cool experience that yeah, it's cool. really more just to preserve culture and have a place for self-identity which i i owe a lot to so i think it was a great experience i think that's so, so important so yeah. important so, too um, yeah thank you for sharing that so yeah, tell us course. about tell us about uh your experience uh, because me and gerardo you know i think when we entered the classroom we we realized we were different we're mm -hmm. going to be different than most of our colleagues, uh, you know, different uh, sometimes mm -hmm. depending on the community that you're in from our students, you know, mm -hmm. um, but but tell us about your experience being a uh, first generation immigrant, uh, uh, a Palestinian educator. Tell us about that. Mm -hmm. um, it has its moments. Um, I think because, you know, when people meet me for the first time, they don't automatically think I'm Palestinian or Arab. Other things come mm. to mind. Like, are you Persian? Are you from Iran? Are you from Pakistan? And, and then trying to go into the spiral of explaining to them Palestinian. Oh, forget that. Like, you're <laughs> like, where's Palestine? Like all of that. Um, so I, when I would teach, I was always intentional of where I would teach. And I yes. say that because when I first started teaching, I taught in Waukegan, Illinois, which is a suburb north of Chicago. Okay. Uh, at the time when I was there, it was either predominantly all Mexican um, immigrants, children of uh, migrant workers, large right. black population, and a few of uh, some white students who didn't leave with a white flight just yet. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. And I love teaching there. And ever since that, whenever I went to another school, I was very intentional at teaching a school with students who are, you know, would they would they would call, you know, um, uh, minority majority schools. Yep. Uh, or what I would say sometimes schools with a little bit more flavor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because I also believed that my role as who I am as a person. I believed it was important for those students to understand where I came from and have that experience as well as a Arab first generation student. Um, you know, they do see a lot of other ethnicities or other groups of people, but I felt our students of color also needed to see somebody who is a teacher of color, but in a totally different realm that they're not used to. And so I was able to connect with them and then vice versa, even though 
there was nothing in common, like nothing from the background, nothing of the religion, but there was that piece of, especially if I had children who were children of immigrants, right? Yep. Yep. They would understand that. Or even students who come from, like we said, marginalized communities, we had yep. that connection. So I was always intentional where I taught and I never shied away of who I was. Um, and you all know middle school, they will be nosy as anything. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, you can't hide yourself even no, if you try. <laughs> but what I do like, what I did always like, because it was almost like a shock factor, is I would walk into a classroom and kids automatically, when they see me in the hijab, think, I talk like this, I have an accent, I don't, you know, I'm not from the country. <laughs> yeah. The first things that come out of my mouth is like, my name is Miss Shanawi. I will be your teacher. <laughs> I am, you know, one of six kids. I'm a mother and I grew up on the South side of Chicago and that ends it, right? It was yeah. like, oh, okay, no, get, get do it. Yeah. So once you do that with them and they realize that, okay, you know, she's who she is, kids were a lot more accepting. So it never really, with students, I don't think I ever, I had maybe one issue, but that was because the kid was just a kid. But other than that, I never had issues. I love being around my students. Yeah. yeah. And they let me be who I was all the time, which I really, really liked. I mean, that tends to be the case, particularly in communities of color, right? Yeah. Where this it's not that the students don't care who you are. It's that the students are are ready to they're they're curious about difference. They're curious about people. And but they also value you just coming in authentic. And then oh. they're saying, oh, you said Southside? Yeah, I'm from there, too. Cool. Right. <laughs> We're yeah. good. And we move yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, my, my experience moving into education, I, I taught in um, in alternative ed. And so um, my students were almost divided right down the middle, uh, black and brown. That's who mm -hmm. I taught. And I always knew that I wanted to connect with um latine students mm -hmm. um but the the experience i had gr growing up in one of denver's um oldest uh historically black neighborhoods was also something that really um formed a connection because i was like mm -hmm. oh wow we can connect too and it was kind of beautiful um and so i love i love what you've said and you and you've said this to me in other conversations about how being able to connect across difference when you come from marginal marginalized communities mm -hmm. is really powerful. Like no wonder they want to keep us from reading stories of other groups. No mm -hmm. wonder they want to keep our histories from us. And no wonder they want to um, take that away from us and from anybody else, because uh, kids are, kids are curious. And Kev, this makes me think of um, a, a teacher I know from the school district you went to high school in, who said once he's like, oh yeah, he's like this vocal minority that that wants to attack um, diverse books and materials and subject matter. He's like, they don't speak for any of the kids in my classroom. The kids in my classroom who a lot of them are actually like white kids are kind of like, why would we want to only know about our own people? Like right. we want to learn about other folks. We we know that when we go out into the world, other people are out there, <laughs> you know? Right. right. And, right. and so, um, and so engaging with the global majority, I think is a really powerful thing. Um, people don't so realize also like setting those students up for failure, yeah. you know, when you're not exposing them to what the reality of the world is, you're really yeah. setting them up for failure. And I think as a country, we are so isolated, you know, geographically, where as opposed to you go to the rest of the world and people speak more than one language. We're yep. here, it's looked down upon. So I think people 
don't understand that when you are talking about diversity in any way, whether it's gender, whether it's religion or culture or what have you, you're setting your students up to be more open to becoming adults that are more empathetic and understanding of each other and communities that are always rapidly changing. So it's really yep. detrimental to their students. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So when we uh, come back from a really uh, quick break, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the elephant in the room um, and the the uh, the the horrors that are happening um, so far away from us that a lot of Americans aren't thinking about it um, very much. We're going to talk a little bit about the violence and um, the destruction in Gaza. Um, so we'll do that. And we'll also talk a little bit about the social justice imperative um, in our classrooms when it comes to that. So stick with us. Um, before we do that, Kev, have you planned for the future? Uh, future. Sierra's <laughs> ex, better, better dad, the worst dad. He's like tomorrow's Friday. <laughs> um, I mean, like I've, what I'm doing I mean, this weekend. I don't know. Like, I just want to know what you think. I mean, like, what you, you have what kind of planning? Have you I, done I've made, I've you made a little uh, planning for the future. Not, not okay. a significant amount, but good. I mean, All right. I, you just I have live in the moment, planning. right? Live but, but moment. I, I can always plan more. Why? No, well, I got some ideas. I, I want to hear of it. What, what, what do you, what do you think about when you think about planning for the future? What comes to your head? Oh, you look traumatized God. right now. I'm so sorry. I am because I'm like, <laughs> is the future like this weekend, or is the future like ten years? Because I mean, it's, it's kind of like whatever, whatever you feel the urge to speak to. Like. So, to be honest, I say when I plan for the future, I'm going to take over this world. Like okay, I'm so going to take my that. stuff and like. Just boom, like the gates have opened for me and I'm ready to go. So That's for the dope. future, as we say in, in Arabic and Islamic culture, inshallah, like to the top. Inshallah. Yes. So yeah, if yeah, we're talking about the future this weekend, I'm going to sleep. I love it. Um, so Kev, Kev most of us are not going to take over the world like Abid will, right? Am I right about that? And if some of us are lucky, Abid might give us a job in her administration as yes, ruler please. of the world. Um, but for the rest right. of us, we might have to plan for our financial future, right? Ooh. So like, so that's kind of what I'm talking about, Kev. So you want to know what I got? What well, is kind of what you got too. So our friends, uh, Alex and what we got, um, our friends, Alex and Tori at Satera Investors, uh, who sponsor the show for, Ooh, um, <laughs> for <laughs> talking about some of the stuff they do. Alex is a really dope kid and he like, he's super young dude is young. He could be like my son. Um, he has this like passion for helping educators to um, plan for having generational wealth to pass on. And that's not something we think about with educators, <laughs> like generational wealth, what? Um, but he's got a subscription-based uh, plan that um, that is informed by his knowledge of retirement systems all over the country. And that's really cool. And Tori, his, um, his amazing spouse, is um, also doing a lot of this work. Tori also does dope work in supporting women of color entrepreneurs. That's, That's cool. like super cool. Yeah, so Satera Investors, they're very cool. Um, it's, you know, especially if you're a new teacher, but even if you're not a new teacher, um, even if you're a teacher in the loosest sense of the world, like, you know what a school is, reach out to you Alex to and school. 
you went to a school, school this um, you used to work <laughs> in a school maybe yeah exactly uh nah but you know i think alex is a really earnest dude who wants to help teachers plan for the future so hit him up uh it's tori and alex um slash investors.com slash two dope and uh they will give you 25 percent off of a consultation um hit them up they're good people they got the two dope seal of, of approval stare investors all right and we're back we're gonna have them on the show actually uh at some point kevin december uh to sort of talk about like their journey and stuff like you see these kids who are like entrepreneurs at like 25 i'm like bro like why was that's I impressive thinking why, of... why 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 what you can yeah. do that wait i was wait. like you can that's how the young folks are that's how they are they're like wait uh yeah i skipped levels why yeah you, they're you, like you thought you had to play every level well and you, here's here's what paying attention out. so uh, i'll point this out and this is often a sensitive subject when you have a multi-generational group but we're all gen x right yes these gen z churns like they they are just they're kind of fearless when it comes to just going after what they want and doing what they want and saying what they want and believing what they want. Um, shout it, out to they, my kid who who's taken part of every pro Palestine protest in Chicago that has happened in the last very month. Good, very um, good. I just want to point something out about Gen Z. Who raised them? We um, did. Yeah, that's our that's, kids. That's, we don't have to, but we don't brag. We don't flex on that. No, we don't no, we do. We need that. to. Gen, We're Gen X. We're way, see, but I, we, I mean, we don't have to say anything. We just sit back and we're like, mm. I think we I, do have to say something. And maybe it's because I employ millennials, but like, <laughs> I think we do have to say something. Shout out to my team. I love my team if you're listening. Um, but like, 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 like I, I have t shirts in mind. Like, I think we need to rock t shirts that says, X gonna give it to you. Ooh, okay. Cause we did. We're giving them, I think this is the greatest generation, in my opinion. Thoughts? That's true. And, you know, the key to knowing if you did raise good children is if they like 80s music. They do. Yeah. And they, if they wear those t-shirts and they know one song from the band that they're with. That's key. Wearing. That's the test. Yeah. That's my, my kid is jealous that I share a birthday with David Bowie. Um, oh, that I makes her that so is, jealous. That's a pretty and, big one. That's yeah, nice she one. even looks at my pictures from like middle school and high school, and she's like, "Why didn't you keep any of that stuff?" Right? <laughs> like, cool. I like that. Could've. I like that. So we're we're back, and sorry not to not to shift too dramatically here. Mm -hmm. Um, but we the the biggest reason that uh we reached out to you, Abid, is that we have this moment that we're living in um atrocities left and right in Gaza, and. There are so many conversations that need to be had. We're a podcast that looks to amplify the voices of teachers who come from marginalized uh, communities. Um, we look to create a fugitive space for folks like us who don't always have, we don't always feel the safety to discuss kind of um, what it is that we're experiencing. But I guess I guess the, the, the question I want to kind of launch us off with is talking a little bit about you you've referred to this moment as a watershed event mm -hmm. um that is profoundly powerful and it should be named right now that 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 you do not reside in Gaza you don't reside in those areas right. and we want to make sure that we name that but talk a little bit about the watershed moment that is in front of not just you and your communities but for all of us right um, I do want to preface by saying when we talk about Gaza, 
we want to make sure that they are not separate from the Palestinian people. They are Palestinian. Um, I think words are very important because that tends to create a divide as if like the West Bank and Gaza are two, they are separated geographically, but they're all still Palestinians because also yeah. the people who live in Gaza, uh, I believe it's 80% of them are also refugees. Right. So I think it's important for us to keep that context. Thank you. The reason You're welcome. The reason why I, I say this, and I know a lot of other people are saying it's a watershed moment is, so I'm almost 50 years old. I'm not ashamed to say my age. And I have been going to protests about the freedom for Palestine since I could walk, right? Um, protests after protests. But what I've noticed is as the years have gone by, the protests have gotten larger and larger and different groups of people have been entering themselves in the actual fight for freedom. And the reason why this is more of a watershed moment, since we're talking about millennials, right? Yeah. And we're talking about um, uh, Gen, Gen Z and all those um, generations. After the murder of George Floyd uh -huh. and all of that social unrest, what we don't give enough credit to the young students is the fact that they no longer just identify with themselves as who they are as a person. Like, sure, I know kids who will identify, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a, a proud black male, you know, cisgender, all that. But that doesn't stop that student from thinking of fighting for the freedom of Palestinians because it's all interconnected in what I call a social justice movement. And why it's a watershed moment is because now the world is looking at what's happening in, in Palestine and in Gaza because, and this blew me back when I heard it, but it's the last imperialistic colonistic bastion of the 21st century, right? So we are living in a time that a lot of students read about or learned about in a history yep. class where now they're seeing it unfold live but they're connected to something that like i say they have no dog in the fight but they understand that the concept of when i fight for freedom for one group of people that means i'm fighting for freedom for all groups of people right. so the watershed moment comes in the fact that it's no longer just about Palestinians. It's no longer just about, you know, Israelis versus Arabs or Muslim or this, it's about everybody. Yeah. And that's why I believe it's so important when I talk about teaching Palestine, which also is controversial, why it's considered a social justice movement. So that was, that's yeah. a watershed moment is the fact that it's changed. The shift has changed so fast at the fact that this has happened. And I'm just looking back and thinking, wow, like I've never thought or imagine that this would have happened. Yeah. So let's let's expand on mm -hmm. that piece just a little bit. Um you you've said this and and the the more I come back to this um to this statement that mm -hmm. that you've made about that there's an imperative for teachers right now regarding not just teaching Palestine to your point but also teaching this moment, what do you think the the social injustice, the so social injustice? Like, I mean, hey, Fordian and slip. Right? Yeah, it's technical. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think the social justice imperative is of teaching Palestine? So the social justice imperative, it's not any different than talking about apartheid in South Africa. It's not any different than talking about Northern Ireland or the IRA, or let's not even go to other countries. It's not any different than talking about 
what happened the displacement of the indigenous populations in this country. So when we talk about land confiscation in Palestine, the reason why people here can't connect with it is because this is part of the history that's been taught, yep. right? Yep. When you're yep. taught about indigenous populations, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, they came and all of a sudden, you know, you have these populations and then out of nowhere, they just either don't exist or they're these little plots of land that are called reservations. And then you have, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest tragedies, which is the Indian Removal Act. But that concept of land confiscation is has become the norm in the psyche of people. So that's one area. But then if you talk about the continuous um, history of violence towards communities of color in this country, it's no different than what has happened. It's almost like the same playbook that you find in Palestine. If you're talking about segregation in Palestine, if you go through the checkpoints, we can look no further than 50 years ago with Jim Crow and segregation in America, right? If you want to talk about having dual citizenship, it's the same thing when you had signs that said, you know, um, no dogs, no whatever, no Mexicans. It's a, no different than when you put people in what we call now as a concentration camp that happened to Japanese Americans, where now they're calling them concentration camps. They're not calling them internment camps because words matter, right? It is a concentration camp. And also the use of concentration camp is important because that was also a word developed by the British in Africa, where they held a group of people in a concentration. So the reason why this is imperative is because none of, it may be a different location in a different time. The acts and what's happening are no different than they were 100 years ago than they are today. And making those connections are so important. And as a history nerd, why it's important for kids to understand what I used to always tell my students is the reason why you learned about something that happened 200 years ago is because it's still impacting you today. So that's the imperative piece of why teaching Palestine is no different than any other social justice movement that's happened all over the world. And like I said, forget about the rest of the world. Let's just talk about our country. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. it's um, it, it is in because I, you know, what we need to be doing is connecting the dots, right? Mm -hmm. That when we talk about settler colonialism, that doesn't just mm -hmm. mean in one place, you know, involving two groups of people right. that the these are things that that we see um, that that we see globally as as all a part of kind of the same thing. Just a quick follow up. And this may seem like a really obvious question uh, to answer. Um, why is it that historically um, the, the situation of Palestine has not been taught in the same manner that some of the other social justice movements have been that we've looked at? And I'm thinking in particular, the way that the that the civil rights movement has been appropriated um, to mean whatever whoever's teaching about it or making television commercials off of it uh seeks to gain why why has it not been treated that way in in the white stream i mean the mainstream right i think we have to look farther than just talking about palestine and in 48 and pre-48 because the history of palestine doesn't start with the nakba or 1948 the the entire region has been a place where European powers have always wanted to have a foothold in it. Columbus got lost, right, trying to find a route to India, but he wanted to avoid that region because, you know, Europeans didn't have a foothold in it. 
Um, we're talking about the time of Napoleon who tried to take over in that country. We talk about the Crusades, all of it. So that entire region has always been like this fantasy uh, bastion of control for, for Western Europe. And the reason why it's not taught that way is for a number of reasons. Number one, of course, we know um, racially we're not white. And anytime you want to talk about a, uh, a particular group of people, how else are you going to be able to um, uh, ignore them or make them invisible without dehumanizing them or marginalizing them and making them seem other, which is already happening right now. Right. Number two, it's very geopolitical. It's not in the best interest to have students understand that there are people there who are indigenous and that they've been there. It doesn't help with the geopolitical side either. You know, we can talk about the religious aspect as well with the evangelicals and people who think that it's their right as well when there are Christian Palestinians who are being persecuted, but they're looked at as others as well. We also have to talk about, it's not even just why not Palestine. How many of us have learned about the Chicano movement, right? right. Or how many of us have learned about um, Asian Americans and their movement? How many of us know that Yemeni Americans fought with Cesar Chavez? Like there are little pieces yep. of history that we don't, why is Martin Luther King taught and Malcolm X not taught? Why is Marcus Garvey looked at is this way as opposed to he had this really strong bastion of what he wanted to teach. So teaching Palestine is no different than any other type of history in the fact that it has to be othered, it has to be ignored because A, big companies who write the curriculum put in what they right. want to put in. It is very biased. And at the same token, the less you tell people about the facts, the less they know. And then that way they can't really question what's going on. And so that's why it's been that way for, for decades. Um, and even now, when you talk about the civil rights movement, is it really taught with fidelity? Like we right. talked about Rosa Parks and we still look at figures as being these poor, you know, helpless people when in fact they were badass. Oh yeah. Yeah. They were very intentional. So I know that's a long-winded answer, but there's so many nuances to go with it. But it's, again, not any different than any other history that's being taught right now. So a lot of that, you also have very strong lobbies who create the sense of fear of when you teach it or you talk about it, or even saying Palestine has become like this, people freak out. And it's like, well, yeah. what do you want to call me? Like, should I just walk around and call I myself? I don't get it. <laughs> Right. You know? I mean, we, we know in some people's minds that's what they'd want, right? Like they ideally that they'd be like, Yeah, that's great. You know, but I think I just want to thank you, uh, Avir, for for what you said about the importance of why uh it's important for us to teach this moment, mm -hmm. right? This moment, what is happening to the Palestinian people, what their history, what has been happening. Um, and, um, I, I just see it as very powerful for all of us, right. right. And insightful because we are seeing, and I love the way you said it, we're seeing that settler colonialism play out in real time. And in this country, we don't want to talk about it because it is our history. It right. is our history. It's a history that, uh, people have tried to erase. They don't want it taught, you know, in Texas, they're, they're going to, remove Native Americans altogether from textbooks, right? So um, I think it's so important that we look at it and realize, and I think um, the kids are, are demanding it. And so I, I, I would 
be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. I have a student um, at my school. She is an, an Iraqi refugee. Uh -huh. um, she has been working with other students at our school to organize a walkout for uh -huh. tomorrow for uh, Palestine, for the Palestinian people, uh, demanding a ceasefire, you know, expressing her voice, um, her perspective. This is something she, you know, is one of these Gen Zers who is it, is it who told, I think it is? Is it who I think I, it is? I think you could probably guess who it is, who was told, you know, hey, uh, wait, maybe it's too soon. Maybe you gotta wait. Maybe you shouldn't do this. You gotta do this. You know, but she has pushed and worked to organize. Uh, what would you say to that young student and all the other young students, uh, whether they be Arab or not, mm -hmm. whether they be Palestinian or not? All of the students, like you noted, you know, the same students who engaged in uh, dedicated Black Lives Matter protest, mm -hmm. right? What, 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 what would you say to those kids right now? So the first thing I would say to your Iraqi student, she's a Iraqi refugee, so you can't tell her nothing. Her <laughs> and, her and we know their family. You can't tell their family you nothing. No. You can't. I mean, <laughs> I just want to focus on them really quick because, again, um, unfortunately, Iraq used to be one of the... Um, most well-educated places on earth, men and women, right? So when the war happened in Iraq, it was a devastating blow to the Arab world, okay? So the Iraqi people are very proud people. They're very, very well-educated people. But what they went through um, and why I say you can't tell her nothing is because there's nothing that she can fear. She's been yep. through a war. She's been a refugee. She had to adapt to a new culture. She had to adapt to a new language. So she's coming in thinking, what's the worst that's going to happen to me? What, you're going to tell me I can't say something? You know, bring it on. So I would say to her, like, there's nothing stopping her, number one, right? <laughs> but yes. then number two, and thank you for asking that, Kevin, because I was actually in a meeting today. Um, there was an incident that happened at a school, local school here. And one of the jobs that I have is student advocacy. And of course, I do Arab and Muslim students. It did start off with a Muslim student, all about Palestine and everything like that. But his friends wanted their voice to be heard because the school was ignoring them. And I was like, yep. no, bring it on, right? So I was in a room with seven juniors from a high school. Now the one student who was Muslim, the rest of the students were either identified from like El Salvador or Honduras, and the rest were students who identified who were black. Every single one of them, they have no, like I said, keep saying no dog in the fight about Palestine. The words that they kept saying was, number one, we're here to support our friend. Number two, what the teacher was saying was wrong. And number three, we're going to speak up because we know it's right. And the fact that what I would tell these kids is like, we keep saying, you keep saying it until what you, until your voice shakes, right? And these kids are not our generation either. These kids know and they've learned and again, I believe like the murder of George Floyd and all of all of the brutality that kids have seen, they're not going to take it anymore. So what I would say to them is if you know what you're doing is right and it benefits everybody, you have nothing to worry about. You're going to get opposition. But my favorite quote by Dr. Bettina Love, who's one of my heroes, is she says, if you don't have enemies in what you're doing, then you're not doing it right. You know, and it's true. If you're not going to get opposition, you're not going to grow. You're not going to know how to maneuver. But what I would tell these students is 
you're fighting the good fight because you know the future for you is better and just keep going. And again, like going back to the Iraqi student, we can learn so much from her and you're not going to stop her. So no matter what you no. say, and these kids aren't, they really are. They're so dedicated to, to the concept of equality and social justice. Like I left the meeting today with these seven students. I don't think I've ever, like I've been going through so much, all of us have. And I left, I, was, I look at my, my colleague and I'm like, damn, yeah, the kids are all right. Like just the way they were speaking and then the way they were emoting their energy and their emotion, like yep. listen to them, just yeah. take time to listen to these kids. So that's what I would tell them. I would tell them, keep going because I'm <laughs> get a, it. that's what I always do. <laughs> you tell them, uh, get it girl. You got this. Go ahead. Sorry, Kev. No, I mean, I, I think that's, that's, that's so important, I think, for the kids to understand. And 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 I see I see something special and I get that same feeling. Mm -hmm. Whenever I see the kids stay, I'm like, whoa, wait, wow. Hey. All right, y'all, y'all, hey, y'all paying attention. Oh. Y'all are paying attention. Y'all are engaged. Y'all are ready to go. If it if it I'm just and I always say this to teachers in my building, I'm like, if we hit them right, you can't stop them. Nope. You know, it's just are we comfortable with where they want to go yeah. and what they are about. And if yeah. you let them drive, I will tell you, they will drive. They, oh, yes. they know exactly where they're going. They know ways to get there better than we do. Mm -hmm. they, they, they skip levels. There they was something levels. There was something that was said by one of the students today. So the whole concept was this teacher made all the students feel uncomfortable about something that was going on. What I valued was the fact that not once did the students... Uh, disrespect the teacher at all, right? Not one, like they were critiquing just the whole method to the point where one student even said, he's like, you know, if the teacher gave us time where she just didn't make it personal in the classroom, I would have loved to talk to her outside of class and get to know what her thoughts were. Like this is a junior in high school. Like adults yep. don't know how to do that. No. And when he said that, I was like, yo, like, and this teacher doesn't want to take time to get to know her students. Like what a missed opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, I think, one of the things I would love is just, I wish teachers would take more time to listen to their students, hear what they have to say and support them. It's not us against them. It should be us with us, us with them. Like, yeah, okay. We're the teachers and all, but we can learn so much from them. And there's so many missed opportunities. Ah, makes me miss the classroom too, because mm -hmm. I think like, the, you know, young people um, in particular, and you know, this is a student that, that Kevin and I both have, I was going to say we've taught, but I also feel like we've been her student. Um, yes, yes, and definitely, um, definitely. there's a legacy. There's only one sister that I don't know. Um, I think there's five of them um, in so. the family and, and they've all just been such a powerful presence. And, you know, the thing is that when we, when we refuse to hear how how young people are making sense of this terrible moment that um that we're living through as a world like, and that's the thing that kills me is that so many of us don't even realize that we're also living through this moment like that that this this has implications for all of us mm -hmm. uh marginalized or not um living in um living in the region or not this has implications for all of us like we just don't like we don't credit young people for processing these things for us and i personally you know i always used to always tell my students that feels like a little bit of an unfair situation because 
they all just get to learn from me. Um, mm -hmm. but I get to learn from all of them. And so they need to also be able to learn from each other and, and, uh, and, and be successful and in, in healing the role that we have around yeah. us and letting them do their thing. Cause it's, um, it's really powerful. Um, I mean, this has been an amazing conversation and, mm -hmm. um, we really just look forward to all of you, um, really listening to what young people are saying. Cause here's the thing is that we are seeing youth movements across mm -hmm. the world right now, um, that, as as Abir has said, they are looking at, no, we're not talking about who we're fighting against. We're looking at how we can be united together um, to face and address a problem that mm -hmm. is a global problem that just happens to be um, on our radar right now. We have an opportunity to stand together. And so um, it's just such a beautiful thing to kind of think about. Is there anything else you want to share with us before we get into the most important part of the show? Um, no, I think, you know, we've, we've covered a lot. And I, I think one last thing I would like to say only just because of everything that's going on is, is I want people to just get to know, like the Palestinian people have been so dehumanized since this entire war has started. I want people to just take the time and just get to know who the Palestinian people are. It almost seems like we're just yeah. this foreign entity, right? Yeah. And people are like, well, I don't know where to start. And and well, reach out. You know, I'm I'm sure you can put my information on um, your website and everything here. And I'm more than happy to be a thought partner, but I want people to learn more and take the time to Let's understand who the people are and what we do and what we stand for, because we do love life and we've got some amazing food and some amazing music and everything. And, you know, so just, just, I want people to really take some time to honor that. Yeah. Um, I want to, two things I want to share before we go into uh -huh. our top five. Um, my daughter, uh, posted this on, on her Instagram story. I had to pull it up, um, because we talk about the dehumanizing impact of what's happened, um, and where she's, where she posts, Israel has now murdered more Palestinians in 24 days than 9-11, Pearl Harbor, 30-year war with the North, in the North of Ireland combined. Yep. And those, I don't understand how those numbers don't have life um on a lighter note uh kev a student that you and i both had at one point um went on that um on that trip that we did what was what was the organization that um ah now i can't remember anyway a trip that took them to jerusalem and took them mm -hmm. into all these different um communities palestinian communities uh jewish communities bedouin mm -hmm. communities like it's oh, yes, super yes, yes. meet the middle east meet it's the called middle meet east. the middle yes. east oh, okay. and uh and now the founder of meet the middle east is a congresswoman um yes, here in yes. colorado and she's incredible um yes. iman judah iman judah iman wow judah. i'm remembering yeah, you're oh, wow. I, i'm like so anyway so the student went and of course I love soccer. I love underdogs. I love the um the notion of people who have been de denied the right to basic humanity finding a voice. I, oh, I have to turn off my. Oh yeah, my, the Palestinian flag as a shirt. No, no, oh. it is. Hold on. Um, I keep forgetting that when I've got a virtual yeah. background. Yeah. So it's actually the um the Palestinian national team, national oh, soccer very cool. team, nice. um, which, which has not been recognized by 
the FIFA, obviously, of course, but of course. it's allowed to, but they do compete in, um, in the Asian Confederation um, in these World Cup qualifiers. And, and what's really interesting is that it wasn't until the last few years of my career that I actually had the courage to teach about things like Palestine mm-hmm. and, the, you know, to really dive into human rights as a centering force in my history classrooms. Mm-hmm. This student knew that I would appreciate this. Oh, and I love grabbed it in a market and brought it back. So um, they were thinking of you. Can I just make one last comment really quick before absolutely. we get here? So another reason why um, talking about Palestine or teaching it is very similar and, and connected to all the other social justice movements. Um, I said this when this also first started, the language is also very, very similar. So when everything happened, people were going around and saying, oh, you know, Palestinian men, they're going in and they're raping women and they're doing right. all of these horrific yep. things came out to be false completely false completely fabricated exactly these are the same narratives they used against black men in yep. america forever that got them lynched that got them killed yep. that got their tulsa oklahoma bombed yep. so i want students and this is very important for students to understand that language has evolved but they're using just different people and different tactics and it's very important how dangerous that can be and the fact that I have brothers and I'm married to a Palestinian man and all that that that's not who we are but again seeing the similarities between black and brown men just doesn't change it's in a different location so it's important for kids to understand that and understand the language that's being used so yeah and and even and even after that bogus report was was debunked the the best the best response that mainstream media could come up with was well we don't know that it didn't happen like like we we things may have and and that was the part that just blew my mind i'm like we would not say this about another group we would not say this about another group we don't even say this about the russians and that's who like has been kind of public enemy number one ever since the invasion of ukraine so i mean i think and that's the thing we just got to be a lot smarter um about like not just like naming it but also saying no we actually have to say this was fabricated and analyze why why was it okay to fabricate a story about this group of people when it wouldn't be okay to do so about other people absolutely not yeah yep kev should we do this yes let's end on a on a much lighter note Uh, i don't know if this is a light note this this is you don't know how our you don't know how prepared for this oh all right oh this is this is big you don't know how our sister thinks about hip-hop like you know this we have this, people who gave us a, a false top five and saying, "Listen, uh, listen I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna catch hell if people hear this. This so I'm is just not gonna real. Give you this. this this is, is not real. I'm just gonna this. Is, I'm gonna say some names. Kev, t- I'm gonna stop interrupting you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're just you're just building the anxiety. I am like I for am. a bit. My own anxiety. All right. So <laughs> this is there is no pressure. This is none. Like, all for fun. At all. <laughs> for love. <laughs> like wherever we go, that's where we go. Uh-huh. Uh, this. This is your word for now. Doesn't have to be tied to you forever. No, nope. you know, as as we said, people have falsified what they shared with us versus what they really think. That's all right. Some people might say that's fake in the funk. Gerardo does. I don't. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say this: we we our tradition is we love to ask our guests what their top five favorite rappers or rap groups or artists could be an R&B artist. It okay. can be 
uh, rock artists we've had appear on the list. We've had a variety. Uh, we've had top five seeds, which was a great episode. If you have it, do you remember that, Gerardo? No. Top what? five seeds. You have to go oh, back. Oh, I do remember listen. that. Do yes. you remember that? Oh my gosh! Yes, top five seeds. <laughs> what are we doing on this podcast? What are we? Doing? We've, had, <laughs> we've had all sorts of great stuff, you know, from authors to to whatever. So, do not feel tied down because we say uh, rappers or hip hop artists. Take it wherever you want. We're just lovers of hip hop and rap. But uh, I and, and then I'll just put this out there too. Yeah, come on, man, while get to the a, rules. While <laughs> while it's a top yeah, what five, are the rules? yeah. Why are, the are rules? there? Why are there rules? I'm like, I'm like, you're building this up, and like, so, sis, sis just wants to know what the rules are. <laughs> the, top, uh-huh. the top five are, it's it's a top five list, of course, but uh, you know. You can have ties to two number threes, three number threes, if you want. We call you that the say- Eric, we call that the Eric Hale rule. Uh, yes. Eric Hale, twenty twenty one Texas Teacher of the Year, somehow managed to weasel in twenty five rappers into his top five. Um, and so, and then he was like, "But if it was the top ten, it would be." And then he like Eric, shout yes. out Eric, never change. We love you. Never also, change. is it hierarchical, Kev? I'm just trying to it, get, it, get you there quicker. Yeah, I can get there if you stop interrupting me. <laughs> you always got to tell the Eric Hale story. I just, that's my, it that's was an important guy. moment. But still, still didn't, beat, didn't beat top five seats. All right, I digress. <laughs> Whenever somebody says seats. that, it's bad. I don't think seats. I have any particular order. That's that's okay. That's fine. Like hierarchy is white supremacy. Oh yeah, hierarchy is white supremacy. I always have to say, like, I think she doesn't get enough credit, but I always put her in a different category. I have to say, Lauren Hill. Yes. People get so mad. Lauren Hill is just here, and people get so mad that she decolonizes time. Um, (laughs) and that's um, I, I feel. People got to go to work, Gerardo. People got to go to work. Some of us value seeing Lauren Hill more than we value going to work. Like I've been waiting for, I've been waiting for Lauren for thirty years. All right. Um, I've always loved Eric B and Rakim. I always thought they were (gasps) yes, yes, so smooth. Oh, you're speaking to me. You're speaking to me. That is too. Um, gee, I'm not good when I'm like on my feet for this. Um, let's see. So I have. Definitely, if I'm going to say Lauren Hill, I'm definitely going to say, I mean, I, I've i always, the Fugees was my college album. Yes. So that's yes. Eric B and Rakim. Yes. I think my brothers would disown me if, of course, I didn't say Tupac, but. All right. Know, All right. <laughs> with Tupac. See, and pa- Pac, international, international uh, relevance, yeah. intercultural yeah, relevance. Pac speaks. Spock, Spock, I have to, re- to really, if I want to say a tie for me, I'm a huge fan of The Roots. I think Black yes. is one of the best, like, thank you, anything, but also Karis One. Like, you can't talk about hip hop or anything without Karis. Oh, one. that's right. No particular order, but those are the ones that I think are like my top five. That, Sorry, that's, that's a hot list. That's a, I that's a real I, hot list. I put that list on repeat. I, yeah. I mean, uh, you easily. can put on them like I have a track called Quest. My friend got those and De La Soul, but you yeah. know, this can go on and on. But I think those would be my top. Definitely my top. Uh, shoot. You should have been nervous. Oh, I forgot. We forgot you from the south side of Chicago. Wait, there's no Chicago <laughs> rappers on there. You know, I mean, Chicago rappers on there. Well, you know, I mean, we're all right. We'll we'll get by. We'll do that another That's time. That's true. 
That's, that's all right. True. Oh yeah, that's a whole we'll, other. We'll do, that's a whole we'll other thing. Time. But I'm a huge that's fan whole... of Common, and a lot of people in Chicago are like, Common been around too long. He has been too successful too long. And I don't know if we want to claim Yeezy anymore, but he's problematic. No, 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 Kev, you open the can of worms, bro. Like, okay, I'm always the one coming for Yeezy, and you're always the one defending him, sir. But you come know, on, the graduation, uh, I think, was one of the best. Uh, I feel like, like I feel like the tables have turned because like it like 808s and heartbreak. Oh man. And yeah. when when our when our daughter decided to go to college in Chicago, I, I played homecoming like every day. So I had Kev, you'll appreciate this. Aaron Thompson, shout out Aaron. Uh he's the <laughs> chief legal counsel of Denver Public Schools, came mm-hmm. up to me at one point before I really fully knew who he was. And he says, All right, question for you. What's your top five rappers and why are they all Lupe Fiasco? Oh, <laughs> that that was it. That was his question. We're like, dang, okay. Oh, like, I mean, like you know, Lupe Fiasco. Yeah, you can definitely say he's on that list. But I mean, I love Lupe and I love his his music. But if you're talking about top five, those got to be. Yeah, like, I don't know if I can put him. I don't yeah. know if I can put him top five, um, yeah. but he, I think, I think eventually his catalog will put him there. Like the stuff that he's putting together. Um, he's prolific. Kev, he's very I watched prolific. our, I watched yeah, our guy. With Kev. The conscience. He's another. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. yeah. The, yeah. But Kev, I, I watched our guy, Manuel Rustin of the, um, all of the above podcast. I watched him do a lesson on go Allen, um, mm. which all is right. just on. Have y'all heard this song by Lupe? So yeah it's so intense and and Lupe did it so beautifully that like it allowed me to see a world in which um Alan lives and yeah. like is yeah. is a hero and it's just like for hip-hop to have that kind of power is amazing um yeah. I think my equivalent author to hip-hop who I have I'm a huge fan of is Jason Reynolds um, yes. I think he's just. Amazing. I don't know any of his stuff. I have to check it out. Yeah, you have. He's a young, you know, he's a young author, young adult author, and um, he's in the D.C. area. But I'm a huge fan, and his his he did stamp remix the yep. one to Indian okay. that one, but just his 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 aura and how he writes. He 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 writes with that thought in mind, and yeah, it's an equivalent of hip hop or R and B. That's definitely Jason Reynolds. So yeah, long long way down. Ghost, yes. like this is all good stuff. And he's the one, Kev. He's the one that did the um the stamp from the beginning adaptation yeah. with uh Dr. Candy. Uh no, that's ooh, that's a good call out right there. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. dope. Right. So oh. this was a blast. When are you coming back? When you invite me back. It took I, us to get here. It took us a long time to get here, but now now we need you back. Um this is I beautiful. will be back whenever you want me. I had a blast and it was nice to finally meet Kevin because I thought he didn't exist. That's a right. lot of people don't think Kevin <laughs> exists. He he comes I out exist. of the woodwork. I Actually, exist. I'm not gonna come back until I get one of those uh those the, that graffiti. The background. Yeah, yep. yeah. We're we're gonna make uh, coloring sheets available too. Hopefully but I, we, we can send you a shirt eventually. Get a That's shirt, good. get it all. Day. All, the, all the merch, as the kids say. We got a couple. Of, yo, we got a couple of shirts. We gotta get out there. We gotta get out that spirit healer shirt, man. Like, well, you have so, to get it because if I'm gonna be going on the road with all the conferences and stuff, I'm gonna go to. I gotta wrap and let people know. That's it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, this is amazing. Um, really excited for people to hear this. And um, so, what we'll do is I'll ramble just a little bit, like I always do, uh, but it'll be more of a concluding ramble. And when I cue you, we will all.
all say stay dope together, all right? Because that's what we're trying to do is through all we're just gonna stay, stay dope, through violence, through pain, through sunshine, through rain, my bad. Um, <laughs> um, through it all, we invite you to stay connected, stay fighting for justice, stay unified, stay in solidarity, stay paying attention to how stories are told, not just what stories are told, but I will tell you above, beyond everything, make sure that you always stay dope. Attention please, attention please, dedicated educators of Two Dope Nation. As this school year gets underway, now is the perfect time to take control of your financial future. We understand that being an educator requires an incredible amount of time and effort during the school year. So now is the best time to prioritize your finances before the school year gets completely out of hand. Am I right? So I want to introduce you to a trusted financial advisor who specializes in working with educators like us. Meet Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors. Alex provides educators with planning for our most important financial milestones. He has a deep understanding of the important strategies related to teachers in our retirement, the school pension system, and retirement programs specifically for us. Imagine heading into this upcoming school year and the years to come with confidence, knowing that your finances are in order. By taking time now to work with Alex, you can lay a solid foundation for your financial goals and secure a brighter future. Don't let the busyness of the school year hold you back from achieving your financial dreams. Visit Alex's website at www.toriandalex.cetarainvestors.com slash tudope, spell out, to schedule an initial virtual consultation. And here's the best part. Mention the discount code 2DOPE during your first consultation to receive a 25% discount on their subscription-based financial planning packages. Take this opportunity to invest in your financial well-being before the school year kicks into high gear. Click the link in the description section of the podcast for more information about Alex and Cetera Investors. Remember, your financial success is just as important as your student's success. Let's start the school year on the right financial foot. Cetera Investors is the marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRASIPC. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC. California Insurance License Number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra, CFP is located at 605 East Huntington Drive,
Suite 203, Monrovia, California 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306.